Welcome to the What's the Revolution show. The show for men and the people who love them. Where we discuss how men can find and embrace the healthiest versions of themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corpru. What's good, everybody? It's Wednesday. We're doing our thing October. Time is going down on the year. I hope that you are killing your revolutions, that you are doing everything that you need to do to find and embrace the best version of yourself. But sometimes it's hard, dear people, to find and embrace the best version of yourself when you are always being watched. That's the crazy thing that growing up and being black and male in our country, being black and female, Hispanic and male and female, all of the above sometimes means that everywhere you go, you are being watched. And as we see across the country, across newspapers, across our streams, our feeds on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Yahoo, somebody has been racially profiled. And because of this racial profiling, this hampers how we can be the best version of ourselves. As I was reading my Yahoo feed the other day, I saw an article about a brother who was babysitting white kids and the police were called on him. <laughs> WTF, people, what, what's going on? But we've seen it all across the country in Lowe's. We've seen it in parks in Oakland. We've seen it everywhere. We've seen it with Trayvon Martin. We've seen it all across our country where people have profiled us because of the color and gender of our, the color of our skin and the gender that we ascribe to. But it's time for us to, it's time for it to come to a halt, people. And how do we do that? We make noise about it. We make uproar. We start our revolutions. And today to help me talk about how do we change the policies that are in place that allow people to racial profile us, I have my man, Will Mega. The man, the myth, and I want to say the legend he is, Will Mega, political activist, orator, strategist, Will, what's going on, brother? How you doing? Good afternoon, Dr. Charles. How are you? Good uh, Good afternoon to the WBOK listening audience. What's up, New Orleans? I'm doing well. Good, 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 brother. I am, uh, I'm just honored to have you on the show, and I'm sure when people, you know, when I put it up on Facebook, they began to go see, who is this Will Megacat? Uh, but let me ask you this question, dear brother. What's your revolution? Well, you know, one of my... One of my elders and mentors and, and now um, ancestors uh, would always say when, when, you, when you take on such a subject matter as this, being interviewed or going before a group of people to share information, um, you should always define the terms. And so, you know, my answer won't be short because I want, I want your listening audience to understand um, the backdrop of where I'm coming from with my answer. So when you define the term of revolution, we, we it's a noun. We have we have two working words. We either have the one you can find in, in Black's Law Dictionary, which would suggest a complete overthrow of the established government in any country or state by those who were previously subject to it, or in short, the instance of revolving. So the instance of revolving begs the question of, what are you revolving around? What is at the center of your actions or life? What are you caught up in or magnetized by? Mm -hmm. So to answer that question to you, that which is at the center of my life 
not what I am caught up in, but what I am moved by. That which I'm attempting to do, my revolution is, has been, and will always be to deliver the black man and woman back to the state of right-minded consciousness, one in which we identify with ourself and family properly engaged in right-minded behavior and activities. That is my revolution. Man, I love that. I love that. I love that you put us... You put us into perspective by giving us the definition and then really couching yourself in in the words, what we revolve around at the center of who we are. And like you said, bringing the black man and woman back. Right. And so it's interesting that you say that back into the right mind of consciousness. Unpack that for me, brother. What do you mean by that? Because my people are hearing that. They're like, what is this brother talking about? The right mind bringing us back. Aren't we in the right mind right now? Tell us. Unpack well, I, that for I, me. I'll do this. I'll ask every black man and woman in your listening audience. There's always an exception to the rule. But I'm going to ask them to dig into their pocketbooks or go into their back pocket and pull out your wallet. I'm going to ask you to take out your ID. You have your ID there. You may even have some credit cards and some money. But imagine you're walking through a back uh, back alleyway, and you encounter some ruffians, and these ruffians hit you over the head, and they take your wallet, which has your ID, your money, your credit card, and lo and behold, that day, you even had the lease to your home. You even had the your family lineage tree in that ID. And you wake up in a hospital after being in a state of unconsciousness for some time. And when you come out of the sleeping state, you don't know who you are and who your friends are or who your enemy is. And so sometimes, in some cases, you begin to look at your friends and family as your enemies and your enemies as your friend until someone comes and present you with your wallet, and it has your right name on it, your correct address on it. It says, here's the lease to your house. Here's your paperwork. Here's your family tree. What I'm suggesting is that when we look at our ID, we're going to be looking more often with uh, at names that are not the names of our ancestors. Mm that are not our surnames. And so in carrying out those names and living in a place that we were taken to after being hit over the head, we find ourselves trying to get back to the right state of mind, one in which we have can, can readopt our rightful names, our rightful language, our rightful religion, culture, folkways, mores, and norms, and even engage in rightful practice of health, economics, wealth and government. And so, unfortunately, the black man and woman of this country, the uh, children of brothers and sisters who were made into slaves, have been walking around at, at the, the pace of a millions of amnesia victims. Mm-hmm. And until we begin to embrace our true history, our true, true culture, and recognize who and what we are, that's what it's going to take. So our righteous mind is one that we 
in which we reconnect with self, reconnect with Africa, reconnect with our culture, reconnect with our origins and our ancient heritage. Right, brother. Uh, as you were talking, I kept thinking of the last scene in School Days where Lawrence Fishburne character stands up, gets everybody up, and just says, wake up. Do you remember he that? Says, wake up! Wake up! Exactly. Wake up. And it's interesting. We've been asleep. Uh, and not that we have consciously said we want to sleep. We have been lured to sleep sometimes. And that is the challenge, as you said, as we're working along our, rel- our revolutions to find and embrace the healthiest version of ourselves. We have to understand our roots and get back to that conscience. So I, I appreciate that, dear brother. As I ask everyone as well, you know, we always want to better ourselves and our uh, our minds. What are you reading? What's on your nightstand? You know, the I, uh, well, I'm, <laughs> I guess I'm not the average guy with, with on my nightstand. Um, it's all on what's on the, the dresser because the dresser takes up more space than nightstand. So I uh, I, I grab from several things because I, I have a challenge reading just one book straight through. My yeah. mind's all over the place from time to time. So whether it's uh, the Africana concise reference, uh, a desk reference, whether it's um, Reverend Dr. Ishaka Musa Barashango's Volume 1 of African People's uh, European Holidays of Mental Genocide or Dr. Cress Welting's um, ISIS Papers, Visions for Black Men by Naeem Akbar, yeah, uh, the Black Naeem Panther Akbar. Party Reconsidered. I'm always just kind of dibbling and dabbling in, in, <laughs> in stuff. You know, that's what I, whatever, whatever gets my mind going. I, I am, though, I am an avid uh, fan of Wilt Chamberlain. So I've probably read every book written about Wilt Chamberlain. Right. I'm a big basketball uh, fan, have the played and coached. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm a Wilt. Chamberlain enthuses, uh, and so that's that's uh, one of the, one of the books I grabbed off and just you know for pleasure reading. Right, right, and listening to your brother Will, you know, I hear this consciousness really ingrained in who you are, uh, your readings and your speeches, and and how you even describe yourself on your website. How did you get to this point in your life where you know your blackness was at the forefront of who you are as a man? You know, some people will say I, I, I wake up man and then black, or something. I wake up man and their race is not there. But for you, your blackness is—it seems from what I what I hear and what I see—is at the forefront of who you are. What were the experiences that may have happened that led you to say this is who I need to be? For the world to see. Wow, I mean that—that's a, a memoir uh, in and of itself. Yes, brother. I, I can say that—that that of which I'm working on. But I can <laughs> say that um, some of my earlier influences. Uh, one of my most earlier influences uh, as a child um, at the elementary school I went to, they gave students the option to stay in school during lunch. Or to go home during lunch and return. Different day now, right? Right, no doubt. And so I would always go with Brian Hampton for lunch, even though I was, you know, supposed to be going to my babysitter's for lunch. I would tell the babysitter that I was <laughs> staying in school, but I would go to Brian Hampton's. And Brian Hampton's father, um, Brother Art, was in the Nation of Islam. And when I would go to his house, the entire house was filled 
with nothing but art and artifacts and and paintings and books and you name it, full of things that represented our history and our culture and right. our blackness. Mm-hmm. And I would just, it was like a museum to me. And I couldn't wait to go to lunch every day so I could go take a look again at what Brother Art and his family had there um, in their house. So I think that was one of the things um, that sparked my consciousness. I remember writing a few books, uh, book reports in elementary school on black people. But I think the the person that really set me on my path was a history teacher in high school named Thomas McPherson. We called him Mr. T, God bless his soul. And uh, every Wednesday uh, we had, which essentially equated to Black Student Union, but it wasn't called Black Student Union. And he would just fill our minds with all kind of history and current events and things that were culturally relevant to the black experience. And he started giving me videotapes and audio tapes. I mean, I'm at a Catholic school. He was giving me audio right, tapes. Of right. Louis this is Farrakhan this, and you name it, man. This is during your adolescence? This is during your adolescence? <laughs> this formative years? Yes. You know, I, I um, I was fortunate enough now, now that you're asking, I had, it was, it was my early black teachers. I had a teacher in the seventh grade, Miss Mitchell. Miss Mitchell, again, at a Catholic school, um, saw that the school instituted the practice of Kwanzaa. So we were, um, learning about the Nguzu Saba and, um, we made sure we ate culturally during that week, and we celebrated. We had a kinara. We lit the candles. We recited the principles, the seven principles of Kwanzaa. And so these are, in my early formative years, I had, I had adults, primarily teachers, who were returning me back to my conscious mind. Right, right. By the time I got to college... It was a wrap. I was all in. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, Dr. Walker. I went to James Madison University in Virginia, and I remember when my, you know, my, my blackness became really salient. You know, we go through these phases of racial identity, and as you speak upon, I remember Dr. Walker when I was taking my African American history class, and you know that was right along the time when Malcolm X was coming out, and we were reading more about his his ideologies and philosophies, and remember my kente cloth jacket and everything, and really being immersed. And Dr. Walker was the one, like you said, having that prominent role in our lives, providing the the, the necessary information, where, what the readings needed to be for us to, in, you know, engulf our minds to see where we were. I think it was the first time I really in, was really like, I'm black, right? You know what right. I'm saying? Just like you said, I'm, I'm black. Like, and and to really see the history that I had not been taught. You know, even though I went to a very diverse school, but had not been taught before and to really encapsulate that into who I was at that person. Um, it's so interesting that, you know, our, our experiences are similar in that way. Dear brother, you know, our time is going to go by very quickly. Um, so I want to I want to move a little bit, move the conversation. We talk, about, you know, about this consciousness. Right. And how that consciousness makes sure that we see the world and. Because of where we are in the state of our politics and the state of our nation, we are heightened. We are heightened. Every microaggression becomes even a little bit more heightened because I'm really trying to figure out where are you coming from? What are you doing? Right. 
have you even thought about how your presence in this manner and your actions are affecting me? So it was really interesting as I began to research, you know, and think about how I wanted to really couch this show. You came up and your experiences. Racial profiling is something that is, has happened in our country since we got here. Um, and so thinking about 2016, 2015, 2013, 2018, right? And that we're seeing so many incidences of racial profiling going on. And now, you know, just being black, doing something while black has become an instance for us to call the police. So I want you, brother, right. I want you to talk about your experiences and what happened to you in Philadelphia that said, you know what? I need to make sure that my voice is heard. You know, and so obviously you're talking about the incident um, where I experienced racial profiling with, with Lowe's. Exactly. Um, and, you know, it's funny, as, as conscious as I am and as black as, as I think I am, um, I did not immediately uh, recognize that me, like so many other people who uh, black people who had just accepted things as they were, uh, had had overlooked something that was glaring and obvious. Right? It, it wasn't until I actually experienced some some bad customer service was the, was the light shined on the fact that I was being racially profiled. And so I had three uh, days back-to-back uh, wherein I um, went to Lowe's. And folks would say, well, why would you keep going back? So initially I went to grab a grill. Um, it, it was a spontaneous buy. I wanted to cook out that day, recognized the, the grill was a bit old. So, you know, let me go run and grab a grill real quick. And upon um, paying for the grill, attempting to pay for the grill, the barcode wasn't on there. Uh, employees had to go look for the barcode. They were taking pretty long. But nevertheless, I'm standing right at the exit, right beside the uh, person at Lowe's who always checks receipts. But I'm standing right next to her, like shoulder to shoulder, because on this day, the, uh, the kiosk uh, was outside um, in a in a different area. And so... Um, I'm right behind the, the teller and the cashier, and right next to this person. They come back um, after they find the um, the barcode with the price, and I pay. I pay for this this item, and a woman asked me for the receipt, and I'm saying to myself, "Well, I'm still here the whole time with you. It's not <laughs> like I can put this this thing up my sleeve, right? It's right there in front of you. You know, I was waiting here, and so I'm like, you know, nah, nah, I don't think so." I'm not. I'm not giving you a receipt today. It just, that doesn't make sense, right? And so she began to continue to harass me about the receipt. I leave out. I get about 15 feet into the parking lot, and she screams, "Hey, Mister!" And she's holding up this long receipt. She says, "At least some people have enough sense to show their receipt." Oh wow! No, she didn't, brother. Yeah, I said, "Oh, you okay?" I get it. You you don't realize that Lowe's <laughs> needs their customers more than they need, you know, a, an employee. Right. So right. I go to report her to the manager to talk about my bad customer service experience. And as we have the conversation and he profusely apologizes, something hits me and says, well, 
let me ask you, why do you ask right. people for receipts anyway? He says, oh, well, we don't do this at every store. <laughs> I said, okay, have a nice day. So I had already had items on hold because I was doing some home improvements. And I decided, let me go back and get my stuff. Like, did, did this guy just tell me this is how it goes down? So where most of the country may have seen the video of, exactly. of me um, questioning the, the, the managers and the employees about why they're questioning me about my receipt, what they don't realize and what they're only thinking probably is, well, he's exiting. They always ask people for their receipt. Just show him your receipt. Right. And that was a lot so, of the commentary underneath the video. Like, why he didn't show the receipt? All right. So what they didn't get is when I went to go pick up my things that I'd already purchased and that were on hold in advance, I'm walking into the store with the receipt. I have to go to the pickup area to show, to give them my, they ask for your phone number and for your ID. So as soon as I get into the store, I say, hey, my name is Will Mega. I'm coming to pick up this and that that I have on hold. They look in the computer. Can I see your ID? Show them my ID. Phone number. Give them my phone number. So that's level one. Yes, we have your stuff on hold. They go and get my things. When they bring those things out on top of the boxes are these little stickers with my name on top of the boxes, <laughs> right? So I have I have a um, receipt. I went through the first round of protocol. I've given you my name. I've given you my phone number. I've showed you my ID. Then you give me my stuff with my name on top of the boxes on these little stickers. As I begin to walk away, you don't see this in the video. I'm sure Lowe's has this on their cameras, though. As I begin to walk away, a woman comes to me and says, wait a minute, sir. I need you to sign this. What is this, man? This is a carbon copy document. We want proof that we gave you your stuff. So you'll have proof and we'll have proof. So I literally sign a carbon copy document that says, yes, I have received my things that you've had on hold that I've already paid for in advance. So I have the receipt, the carbon copy document, the stickers on top, the check-in with the person that the, the pickup, and then when I go to exit, they ask me for another darn receipt. That was it for me. <laughs> Come on, brother. Yeah, how, brother. Many, how many times? <laughs> right. And so... Um, so that was it for me, knowing that they only do this at certain stores in the community that I purchased this, uh, these items at, or at a, was at a store where in, um, I, um, the neighborhood that I grew up in, right. the same neighborhood that Guy and Buford grew up in, the first black man to go out in outer space that we know of, right. the same neighborhood that Wilt Chamberlain grew up in, the same neighborhood that Will Smith grew up in. The, this is the community that I grew up in. Went to Winfield section, the, a fairly affluent neighborhood, middle class black neighborhood, right? The same neighborhood where the city's first black mayor lives. This is the community. And I said, wow, look at this. And so I, I questioned them about their policy around questioning me about my receipt. And they looked me in the face and say, do we even have a policy? Really? 
What? So you've been questioning black people in the black community for all this time. I ask them, well, why are you doing this? They say, well, this is a level six store. Right. I say, what's well, a level six store? They say, it's a high crime store. I said, so you're treating me like a criminal because some other people have committed crimes? Oh, no, that's not what we're doing. So why are you stopping me? So we go through all of this. They say, you know, go ahead and leave. But I still have some work to be done on the house. I needed to get a, a key and a five gallon of paint, right? A key for the uh, contractor. You there? Yeah, I'm here, brother. I'm here. Okay. This is riveting. So I go to the <laughs> nearest, closest Lowe's, separate from the one that was already as closest to me. Brother, you tell me they didn't ask you for to be receipt. in super affluent Lower Marion section <laughs> on the main line. Right. The, the neighborhood where Kobe Bryant grew up in, right? I walk in, I purchase my things, I begin to exit. I ask the young lady at the counter, Miss, do I have to show my receipt when I exit? <laughs> and you know what she says to me? Oh, no, we don't do that here. This is the white hood. I said, did you just say this is the white hood? What? We don't do that here? What? She says, yes, this is the white hood. We don't do that here. I can send you that video, too. Man. Everybody, everyone didn't see that video. No. Yet Lowe's has gone on record and said, and, and said that all my claims are not factual, not true, even though they're on video. And they want to deny my, my lawsuit again. Right. Them. Brother Will, we're going to continue this conversation. If you've been listening, you're listening, you know, this, this riveting show with Will Mega, brother who's racially profiled in Lowe's, has been able, and what you'll hear on the side, able to change policy. You've been listening to the What's Your Revolution show with Dr. Charles Corbett. As you can see, I'm out of breath because this story is just riveting. We'll catch you on the other side. Make sure that you stay tuned to hear the rest of this story. Welcome back to the Western Revolution Show with Dr. Charles Corbrew. Having a great conversation with my man, Will Mega, as he talks about his experience being racially profiled at Lowe's. And you know where Lowe's is. Lowe's is all across the country. They have 1,800 stores across the United States. Dear Brother Will, are you with me? I'm here, my brother. Yeah, man. So just to recap, everybody, if you just joined us, Will has detailed his experiences at a, low, a Lowe's in Philly, right? And at one Lowe's, what they call a level six, says, you know what? This is a hot store. This is a high theft store. We, we need to see your, we need to see your receipt. And what this brother said at the end before we went to the break was like, yo, I went to the next Lowe's was like, and asked, do I need to show your receipt? And the woman's like, nah, this is the white hood. What? <laughs> So we don't what, do that here. We don't do that here. It's interesting. You know, and I do a lot of work, uh, Will, traveling around the country talking about bias and racial bias, gender bias. Um, and we all wake up biased every day about something. But it's interesting when that bias itself, you know, holds on to and allows for policy to be created that hampers how certain groups of people can live their lives and flourish. So, brother, what happened? What did you do after that? You know, actually, before you answer that question, how did you feel after going through that experience? Feelings. Um, discriminated against. I felt embarrassed. I was, see, see, I'm, I'm a, I'm a community stakeholder, right? And I'm so used to advocating for other people in my community. It was, it was a little embarrassing to have to go there for myself, right? 
You know, I'm usually being a defender and a protector, and I'm like, dang, this time it's me. Not that I'm special, but, like, I'm not used to being in this situation where the advocacy that needs to be done is specifically for me. Right. And, 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 then, and I'm in my hood, and so their customers looking like, oh, they, they stopped them. You know how people slow they, down exactly. uh, in the street they, when a cop's pull you over? Yeah. Everybody's looking and, <laughs> you know, bottlenecking and rubbernecking. And they're like, what's going on? What's about to happen? Are they going to call the police? Is that Will Mega? Oh, I thought he was a good guy. Right, exactly. All, you know, all the um, employees are surrounding me. Like, <laughs> you know, so I was embarrassed. I was insulted. I was humiliated. Um, and, you know, so, so, so that, that's what I experienced. Those are some of the, the emotions and feelings that I experienced, um, at, at that time. And then I almost, I began to get harassed. On social media, I saw even that, brother. by black people I, I saw who that. have become so accustomed the story, to brother. accepting their oppressive status, it's like, well, why wouldn't you give them your receipt? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, why are we giving receipts to begin with? You're reminding me of, of apartheid South Africa and one African saying to another African, why wouldn't you show your ID to the white man who has us oppressed? Those are the rules. No, absolutely not. I know what my revolution is. I know what my rights are. And so when you talk about revolution, it means to revolt. It means to rebel. It it means to come against and turn upside down. In this case, making the wrong a right and switching that old uh, so-called right that was a wrong into justice. And so... Uh, that's, you know, where I stand. I do want to say this for your listening audience because one of the things, um, that I have not been able to test because it's just little old me versus this multi-billion dollar company with 1800 stores in three countries, United States, Canada, and Mexico. So they've gone on record, their PI, PR stunt, and said, well, as a result of Will Mega's experience, we discontinued the receipt checking practice at all 1,800 stores. So I'm asking anyone in the listening audience in New Orleans, where my brothers and sisters are at, all over the country, you know, social media, have you been being asked for your receipts at Lowe's? And if so, I may need your help. Right. I may need to call you to court to, to show the hypocrisy of these people. And so hopefully folks can get at me. I'm, I have a website, willmegaspeaks.com, on my Instagram, willmegaspeaks.com on Instagram. And um, I'm just Will Mega on, on Facebook. Right. Let's pull back for one second, Will, and because – you know, I've been living in New Orleans for 13 years, and I go to Lowe's. I do a lot of I do a lot of home renovations. I've had my house for 13 years. It looks nothing like it's it did when I first bought the house 13 years ago. I can't recall a time. I can't recall a time that I've been in Lowe's and bought something and walked out. And usually, I don't go to the cashier. 
I just go to the the, the self checkout, get my receipt, and go. I don't recall now. You know, I don't recall the time. I'm I'm older now. <laughs> I don't recall a time being asked for a receipt. Now I don't know how my other New Orleanians. I live in and I actually live in Metairie. That's the interesting thing. I live in Metairie. Um, and so, but I do know this. I do know that I'm also a uh, an avid Costco goer. Right? I shop. That's every time I go to Costco, they do ask for a receipt. Now, and every Costco that I've been to, they have always asked for a receipt. So it's interesting that dichotomy that it, it is asked and everybody that goes through. Um, but that Lowe's has this, well, it's a level six they, that they have actually even divided their, they've actually divided their stores and categorized them to say, okay, these are high theft stores, which are usually what they consider in communities of color, you know, then other stores that are in more affluent areas, which are typically white. And so we are asked for receipts here and not asked for receipts there. So what are your thoughts on that? You know, going to Costco and you, and you get that receipt every time. I'm so glad you brought that up. And here's why. The difference between a Costco and some of the other big box stores <clears throat> is they often have like Sam's Club, right? Right, exactly. Costco, Sam's Club. Those are membership stores. You become a member. And most times folks aren't reading the small print. But when you agree to become a member, part of, the, of what you're signing is an agreement to also show your receipt when asked. Right. So I'm good with that. That's part of being a member. If that's what you agree to, then submit to what you've agreed to. The difference here is, Lowe's is not a membership, is not a membership <laughs> store, and Lowe's has a selective way of asking people for receipts based on region and so-called criminal high theft. Um, but it, as you saw in the video, the, cus- uh, the, uh, the employee says, when I asked very specific, is this something you only do in the city and right. not in the suburbs? And she said, yes. Right, so she didn't say it was based on on a level six store. And what we need to understand is, regardless of maybe what is written, what the common practice and what is being carried out is is what's most important. How your employees interpret your your uh, store's practice is what's most important because that's what's actually happened mm-hmm. happening. Lastly, when we look at the racial profiling piece. It reminds me of the response of New York City when the uh, ACLU identified um, the practice of stop and frisk as being uh, discriminatory and one uh, with with involved profiling. So the city of New York said, no, this is not racial profiling. We're stopping people in high crime areas. And the ACLU says, wait a minute. So if Doc drives through a high crime area, just because he's in a high crime area, he gets pulled over? No. Whatever happened to the constitutional means of probable cause? Right. So in my case, I'm saying, did you have probable cause even? Did I come weighing 200 pounds and when I got to the exit, I looked like I weighed 300? <laughs> did you see me stuffing things in my pants and in the, in the aisles? None of those things happened. And so we as a community have to be more aware of the the new way 
and the nuances of institutional racism and profiling and recognize that we and sometimes are supporting our own demise when we buy into and accept such practices which are not fair across the board. Right, right. Let me put not, not even push, but let me how do I want to say this? What happens next, right? And so understanding that now this video is out here, you're 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 out there and and what people need to know, will make it at the at the core of who he is is an activist. Like you said, I'm out here in front, my consciousness and my blackness is in the front of who I am. I am an activist. What do we what do we have to do when it comes to large corporations like Lowe's, right? To make sure that we're seen, right? Our humanity, because that is dehumanizing to us. How do we make sure mm-hmm. that they see us and that their policies, right, are not racist, are not discriminatory? What did you do well, I, to even yeah, you know well, what did you I do? I did a few things. I did a few things. And even in the process of doing those things. I began to realize even more so uh, how disadvantaged uh, most citizens are, right? And so, um, one, you know, I shared the the videos on social media. Two, because of my background um, working in uh, as a a political activist and working um, in electoral politics um, and having the exposure in media through other means, I had relationships with the press. So I was able to reach out to the press just by picking up my cell phone, sending a text, or making a call to this person. Hey, this is what happened to me. Can you check it out? Tell me what you think. Get back to me. I have the ability to have elected officials on speed dial and say, hey, this is what happened to me. It's in your district. Can you address it? I need some support. I have relationships with with a community active organizations and churches. So, hey, a Reverend so-and-so and minister such-and-such and NAACP such-and-such, can you come support me on this? I'm good in the hood. So I was able to get my network to come out and stand in front of Lowe's and protest and boycott and get attention on both radio and television and in the press, even the front cover of Philadelphia Daily News. Right, saw that. Bam. So so I'm able to I was I personally was able to use my network to expose, put on a carpet, embarrass, um, but even also then take the next level of understanding how government works. I filed a complaint with the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission, which now places them in a, in a different situation where they had to respond legally. In addition, I went to the governor's office and demanded a meeting with the governor because there's so many lows in the state of Pennsylvania. And I understand that people have to be treated fairly, and I wanted Lowe's to have to respond to more than just Will Mega. I wanted Lowe's to have to respond to the city of Philadelphia and to the state of Pennsylvania, who can ultimately determine whether or not they can do business in this city and in this state. But unfortunately, not everyone can just pick up their cell phone like I did and make those things happen. So you have these type of instances taking place all over the country and people just saying, oh, well, what am I going to do? What is little old me going to do? So this is not just for me. This is for every person that this has happened to who said, oh, man, I can't believe it. And ironically, and you can Google this. In the same exact lows, almost a year to the date, 
There are two men, one a fireman from that neighborhood, black men, who get called nigger inside of Lowe's by the employees, make a complaint, get on, on um, uh, um, I forget the name of the news channel, Fox News. Fox News does an interview, finds it to be true, and what happens with Lowe's? No apology, no nothing. That's the lows um, we're experiencing in a black community here in Philadelphia, in West Philadelphia. And that's West Philadelphia, right. born and raised, as Will Smith would say. <laughs> you know, and we internalize that, you know, just, just listening and seeing so much. You know, I, I stopped, you know, uh, I stopped my Yahoo, watching my Yahoo feed because it became so stressful. Seeing all of the instances of racial profiling or seeing all of these instances of racial discrimination. Um, and it's interesting you say this, you know, because I love my high school so much. You know, you talk about hoods, you talk about neighborhoods, you talk about what it meant, for, you know, for places in your hood that, that you subscribe to or that you frequent. And my high school is, is, you know, I consider the best place on earth. You know, and when somebody says that they're from Green Run High School, man, I know. I'm going to expect that you know how to carry yourself. But, right. you know, as, as I today, one of my friends posted, there was a cat from Green Run that was calling us the N-word, right? I was like, you went to Green Run? You were around all these people of color? And you're going to you're gonna say the N-word, right? And you're going to come mm. out saying, calling President Obama a monkey, all these different things? I'm like, wow. yeah. I'm like, you went to school with us and you know us? And you still can still spew this out? It becomes very problematic for me. And so... But interesting, like as you said, when we galvanize together, and that's what I'm seeing on my Facebook feeds now with my friends who finally saw this person for who he was, we began to galvanize. And, you know, and actually galvanize, come together, and then say, we're coming for you. Meaning that, you know what, if you are our friend on Facebook, you went to Green Run, these are who we are as people. We are human. And that's what right. I think that you're you're saying that we need to make sure that people of color, men of color, women of color need to need to show our human side that we are human that we you know in effect we have feelings, right? And these feelings, right? We want to be able to come and live, right? I don't, right. Right. I just want to live. I want to grill. I want to babysit. I want to canvas. Right. In my district where I, I am the congresswoman. I don't right. Remember, right? right. I just want to go around and walk in the, where I've been elected. <laughs> right. Right. Where you don't call the police on me because I represent you. That becomes problematic. Right. It's crazy, brother. I mean, as you were just saying that, I'm sitting here saying I'm on a radio program in New Orleans. Just because I tried to buy a grill without being harassed, <laughs> you know. But we gotta, we've gotta tell these stories because this show is about how we can find and embrace the healthiest version of ourselves. But those barriers that are in place hamper us from doing that because you, you think about this: all of that you had to go through, right, from a psychological perspective, will, right, the internalization of, I've got to go through all of this just to buy a grill, right, right. And so I've got to fight this fight. That internalization wears us down, right? You, our friends, our, our friends that don't look like this have to think through this. They don't, have they to think don't know the experience of shopping while black. Shopping and this while just black. happened to be the one that the world got an opportunity to see. This is what we experience on a regular basis. You know, I, I internalization. My father was a police officer, right? When we would go into stores, he would always tell me as a kid, don't 
Don't have, don't put your hands in your pocket when you exactly. go into the store. Don't put your hand in your pocket when you go into the store. Why? Because he had accepted how people respond right. to the image of a black man or a black person with their hands in their pocket. It automatically meant they must be stealing right. something. Exactly. And so even today, as you mentioned it, I'm walking into a store. I tell myself, don't put your hands in your pocket, son. Right. And, and, and we're carrying these messages and this trauma throughout generations as a result of this institutional racism that we're experiencing. And, it, it, you know, it, it's sad. It's sad. And, and, and we, we make it look easy to the world because of our level of, of our strength as, as, as a people to endure has become what it is. But internally, we are suffering. Internally, we are hurting. And eternally, we're turning against one another. Exactly. Exactly. And my vlog post this week, brother, talks about telling your trauma, saying your trauma out loud. It's so important because we, and particularly we as men, we hold that in. We hold that in. Say it out loud. You know what? I've experienced this trauma. This is what this trauma felt like for me. Because if we right. don't, if we do not say it out loud, brother, we know we have the lowest life expectancy of any race and gender, right? We, we yeah. know the ailments of cancer, hypertension, heart disease, diabetes. We lead in all of these categories, particularly because of the stressors that we face as men. It's problematic. And our, and our sisters who are trying to hold us up so much internalize it even more. And so I, I, I think that, I, not even I think I appreciate that, you know, that you put it in a traumatic perspective, right? Because people will see, and, and what I saw on, on Facebook and on social media, like, why is this dude making, making such a fuss about a receipt? Something as simple as a receipt. Our friends don't have to think about this, right? You walk in and out of stores. I remember Bertha Corpora, who's this, who's this stately, wonderful woman who's also my mother would say, you know, when, when you go to the store, Will, or when you go to the store, Chuck, Make sure you get a bag, right? Put the milk in mm. the put the milk in the bag. Mm. You know, mm. simple little things that I didn't internalize as a young man, but as right. a forty-seven-year-old man, she was just protecting me. Right? She knew. That, that, right? that was a sign. That was a that sign. He paid for it. Right. He got that, it on it. Right? Got it on it. The sign. And still, even to this day, will do you want a bag, sir? Yes. Put it in a bag. Mm-hmm. You know, just because that we've been socialized in grain. You know, and I don't even think about it anymore because she started that early. Make sure the make sure it's in a bag, Chucky. Make sure it's in a bag, and that's not, the not same. even. And and you may immediately be getting a, a, a bottled water or, or soda, and you know good and well as soon as you walk out that store, you're going to take it out the bag and start drinking it. Right. You know you don't need the bag. No. But always. But the trauma is the still tra- there. This trauma is still there, brother. You know. So what do we do in our last in our last waning moments? What else do we do to make sure that our voices are heard, that big stores like Lowe's hear us, and as well that they start to change their policies? What has to happen? Well, I um you know, the the first thing that immediately comes to mind is the the the, the mere admittance that they were wrong. If you weren't wrong, why did you change the practice at all eighteen hundred stores? Right. What's that about? Why why would you do that? And so, it's um, I would say what, what next. I would love for folks to reach out to tweet uh, Lowe's stop racial profiling 
Will Mega in the black community so they understand that, you know, this, this thing isn't over and from which it's coming and that the black community is in support of not just me, but that we can unify uh, nationally. I would love for every member of the Divine Nine, uh, black brothers and sisters, and others who are in uh, fraternities and sororities throughout our country, and every black person that has ever spent a penny in lose to let them know that you're a customer and you don't appreciate how they've treated fellow black people who are spending their hard-earned dollar. They will understand that because black people are the number one collectively consumers in this country. And we literally have the ability to shut things down. That's why Starbucks responded so quickly. Right. Philly's been going through a lot. Right. Yeah, no doubt, brother. Philly, Philly's been going through a lot. And, but, oh, bro, it's rough here. <laughs> yeah, you know, but it's good that, you know, when you illuminate a problem, there has to be a solution. When the problem's not illuminated, people don't know. And so we had to have we had to have these incidences that really illuminate what's going on for us, dear Will. Man, I appreciate the time man, uh, and and just your wisdom uh, and detailing and, and dialoguing about your experiences. Uh, you are a true leader in our community, brother, and we appreciate you so much. And I love that you put your blackness out there for us to see. It means a lot to me. Hey man, I have a son, and I have a legacy to live. Uh, leave. I have. Um, 20 years of coaching high school basketball and those other sons are not necessarily, you know, genetically mine, but I have an example to set for them. I have to be a living example to those guys. So the things that I told them and taught them, they can't say, oh, coach is being a hypocrite. And, you know, just, just as, as a black man in our society, I mean, like, oh, what else are we going to do but stand up and be men? Stand up and be stand men. Stand up perpendicular on the square. There you go, Let's brother. Let's go. There you go. Will, I, hey, appreciate, I appreciate what you're doing, brother. Thank I you. I really do. Thank because you. without people like you reaching out to me from that far, your listening audience wouldn't have heard this. And as, as we're battling this out now legally, um, you know, it would have died down, and they may have thought they had a little more leverage, but you just sparked it back up, we and so here we go brother. again. There we go. And, and look, I got listeners all across the world, brother, so they're going to hear your story. So, hey, do your thing, brother. Have a great rest of your re- week, brother, and I appreciate you so much. All right. Thank you. Peace. All right. You've been listening to the Western Revolution Show with Dr. Charles Corporal, broadcast on WBOK 1230 AM and also on WHIV 102.3. been a great show with Will Mega. We will see you next week as my man Dennis Bagnares, CEO of Liberty's Kitchen, comes on to talk about his journey and his revolution. We'll see you next week, everybody. Peace.